0: if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start out with verse number 19. So if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been going through the book Hebrews for a while, Um, but each and every week we do a little summary of what we've learned so far, so we're going to be doing that as well again. But first of all, I just wanted to share a little bit of some statistics with you not a whole lot by way of statistics really just a, kind of a perception of the way things are going church attendance is plummeting did you know that <laughs> church attendance in most places is plummeting there's a group now identified by pew research and also by the barna group uh, i think we we're talking about this uh, wednesday night but they're called the nuns And they are those who respond to a uh, poll about what religion they are by saying none. No religion at all. So they don't propose to be Muslim, they don't propose to be Buddhist or Christian, they are simply none. Doesn't necessarily mean they're atheist, but they choose to have no religion at all. And so we're gonna see in the book of Hebrews, I think here today toward the end, that attendance is very important in a church. Attendance is very important in a church. And we have a church where we are very thankful that people so faithfully come to church. But we're gonna be talking about this to get together, but mostly we're gonna be talking about how Jesus is better because that's what the book of Hebrews is about. He is better, he is superior than just about anything. He is better than anything, not just about anything. We've learned this all the way through and so just as an update of where we have been these past few weeks, we know that Jesus is better than the prophets of old. He was a better prophet. He brought the truth of God in a more compelling way than even the old prophets. He's better than the mightiest of the angels. He's better than Moses, which would have come to a shock to the people that were, this book was written, written to the, the Hebrews or the Jews. He's better than Joshua. He provides a better rest than Joshua. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. And he is a priest who is an order of the priestly order of Melchizedek, not of the Levitical priesthood. And at this point, if you remember in our study, the writer of the book of Hebrews said, well, I can't really go on and talk about Jesus being of the order of Melchizedek right now because you are too immature, and some of you probably are not saved at all. Because you have this tendency of having professed Christ, but now you want to go back. You want to go back to the Old Testament laws. You want to go back to the Old Testament sacrifices. And you're neglecting your salvation in Christ. And so I think the writer of the book of Hebrews was genuinely concerned that some of these people who have professed Christ really truly had not professed Christ and were not Christians at all because they wanted to go back these people that he's referring to according to the writer of the book of Hebrews were stuck on foundational principles and they were not moving on to, in their faith. Now we all know that the foundation is so important. The foundation of uh, justification by faith and uh, baptism and those types of things are essential. We know about those things, but it seems as though, These particular people were stuck there. They wanted to hear this message repeatedly and they weren't going on to maturity. They weren't learning to spiritually discern between right and wrong. They were not bearing fruit. And the writer of the book of Hebrews identifies them as being sluggish in their faith. They weren't real energetic as far as ministry. To be fair, the Hebrews were also going through some persecution for their faith, and maybe one reason why they were tempted to go back to the faith is that Christianity was becoming less and less uh, popular, and it was just so much easier to go back to Judaism because that was a recognized religion by the Roman Empire at that time. But they were sluggish of their faith, they were not bearing spiritual fruit, they were in danger of drifting away from the faith, And so the writer of the book of Hebrews in our review here says, Turn to Jesus, the anchor of our soul. And Jesus is the anchor of our soul, right? That's what we hang on to. When nothing else is sturdy or solid, we hang on to Jesus Christ. And we do so because he has become a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's a greater priest than that of the Levitical priesthood, And it is required that he be a greater priest for our salvation. And so consequently, we kind of one time focused on this one verse, but I'll repeat it because it's such a a great verse in the book of Hebrews and in the whole Bible itself. But Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he, referring to Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just a tremendous verse, if you stop and look at that. He saves us to the uttermost. He saves us eternally. He doesn't halfway save us, and then the rest is up to us. He does all of the work. He provides every sacrifice that was needed for us. We need a high priest like this, don't we? Interceding between us and God, one who meets our every need, who is eternal, who will never die, never go away, and is always there to be our advocate uh, before the Father. Jesus secures for us an eternal redemption. And we mentioned this verse last week, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Another really important verse in the book of Hebrews that helps summarize where we've been. It's through Jesus and his one single offer- offering That has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That means he is going to finish the job he completed. When we believe and trust in Christ, he saves us from the penalty of sin. But he wants to save us from the power of sin in our life. Amen. He wants to save us. You know that power in your life that you feel every day that wants you to turn the other way and go away from Jesus? I can't remember the name of the song, but it says prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. There is that feeling in each and every one of us, but he has saved us forever, and he has saved us to the uttermost, and he is going to complete what he has started, all the way to our glorification. So we have a great Savior, don't we, who provides everything that we need. And so many people think of the book of Hebrews because of the warnings in it as a book that is opposed to eternal security or perseverance of the saints, but really is just the opposite. It shows the complete sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross to take us from believing all the way to glory. And so our saga continues on today as we go to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. And let's go ahead and read those. We'll stand as we read God's word and It will be less of a stand this time. It's a little bit shorter section of Scripture than we have been taking, but it's so important for us. It starts out and it says, Therefore, brothers, because of everything we've just talked about, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and all the more as you see the day drawing near let's pray father we thank you so much for your word we thank you that it has been preserved in such a way that we have the absolute truth before us today and we thank you that you have given us this section of scripture to read today and to study and we pray that you would help us and we need help going through the book of hebrews because it is a book of mystery sometimes to us who are primarily Gentiles and so help us to understand how the Hebrews would have understood this letter and this sermon that we might gain insight from it and wisdom from it and knowledge from it not to puff up our heads but to help us engage in ministry with those around us help us to have confidence in our salvation And help us to consider these things that the author is asking us to consider today. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I love this section of scripture, and I've told you many times I love Hebrews because every time I read it, uh, there's just so much in the book of Hebrews and so much good stuff that we need to know about and to learn. And today we're going to be learning about how we have great confidence because of this better jesus jesus is better and because of that we have great confidence to enter into the throne of grace and our also we want to talk about how do we respond to such a wonderful gift that we have been given how do we respond to a better jesus and so we're going to be talking about those two things first of all jesus is superior in every way and that gives us great confidence to enter the holy place so if, if you're following along with your outline, that's the first statement that I have up there. Jesus is superior in every way, and that gives us great confidence to enter the holy places. And we see that in our text today. It starts out in verse 9. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain, that is through his flesh. We have confidence to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? If you stop and think about Jesus being God himself, and we can have a relationship with him. I don't know about you, but I don't know many highfalutin people. (laughs) You know, I don't know the president. I don't know any of the presidents. I've never met any of the presidents. I've never really met too many world leaders that I can think of. Mostly humble folks like us is who I know. But if I wanted to know somebody, it would surely be the God of the universe. And this is the great confidence that we have. Uh, It's kind of works backwards because we think normally that when we go before someone who is great and mighty that we're going to shrink back. But no, because of the confidence that we have in Jesus, we can enter into the holy place with confidence. And so... We do that not based upon our own confidence. Is that, that's right. We don't do that based upon our own confidence. But according to scripture, we do it by the blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful? I know this sounds weird to a lot of people. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ Amen. that was shed for us? The Bible says that the, there is life in the blood. And if there is life in the blood, and Jesus has shed his blood for us, then we must have eternal life if we receive him as Lord and Savior. In other words, 10,000 years from now, we will be in heaven with Jesus. That's wonderful news. Uh, I always tell people, do what makes you happy A 1,000 years from now. That's a good rule of thumb. Do what makes you happy. That means have an eternal focus and perception. And that is exactly what we need to do. And we can do so with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We can also do it because Jesus has provided a new and living way, the curtain, and that is a symbol of the flesh of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the body of Christ which is broken for you? You know, we use that terminology in our Lord's Supper, but the body of Christ was was broken for us so that we could have this new way. Remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross and he died, what happened in the temple, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And that's, that's exactly what we're symbolizing here with the earthly tabernacles that before the holy of holies, there was a curtain through which no one could go through, except a high priest who could take a blood sacrifice. But now that Christ has died, that curtain has been torn and all who have faith in Jesus Christ can enter into the Holy of Holies and be with God, have a personal relationship with God. I can't wait for the day when I'm able to walk with Jesus somewhere and to be in his presence. I mean, I know we're in his presence right now. I can feel his presence right now, by the way. We're in his presence right now. But I long for the day, like Adam and Eve, they were able to walk with Jesus and experience a relationship with him. Then we can ask him all those questions that we've always wanted to know. But I think what we'll be most amazed about is just the person of Jesus Christ. He is our great reward, by the way. He is why we want to go to heaven. I think so many people have an idea of heaven as a place where their every selfish desire is going to be fulfilled but that's not true it's going to be all about jesus and it will not be boring folks it will not be boring he's the creator of everything that we see everything that we don't see and to enjoy that is uh, with him is just going to be an experience that um, is is almost unbelievable i can't use the word unbelievable because it is believable you have believed so so we enter by this new living way, the curtain, of, uh, the curtain as a symbol of the flesh, the body of Jesus. But we also by a high priest, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we have a great high priest. I think this also is speaking of Jesus, of course, but is speaking as Jesus as the truth. Jesus as one who truly represents God to man. Most of the time when we think of Jesus as being someone who is a priest or a go between us and God, we think of what he does for us, that he is our advocate, that he uh, stands up for us, that we have his righteousness. And that's true, but a mediator works both ways. And so as mediator to us, Jesus represents the truth of who God is. And I think it's no mistake, by the way, that Jesus said to us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have just talked about those three ways. What is the way Christ's body sacrificed for us? What is the truth? Jesus represents God fully to us as a priest. What is the life? Through the new covenant of Christ's blood we have life and eternal life. Jesus knew the tabernacle. He knew that he was fulfilling this way and so I'm very thankful for us. So there is no reason for us to shrink back from the faith, is there? We only have confidence to go forward and to be with God. And so secondly a superior jesus demands a superior response to god's mercy and grace do you guys believe that a superior jesus demands a superior response to god's mercy and grace and i i love what casey talked about my son talked about yesterday i can't remember i've used this illustration as well but You don't encounter Jesus without a significant change happening in your life. It just changes your life. It's as though you're standing in front of a locomotive and the locomotive comes, you are going to be moved. And so that's one thing that we look at when people ask, well, how can I know that I'm saved? Well, have you believed and trusted in Jesus Christ? And they might say, yes. And then I I would say, well, has your life changed? Are you growing in the knowledge of Christ? Are you becoming more like him? Because we should be becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so we don't shrink back from the faith as these Jews were tempted to do. Instead, he says in verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water several things that we need to go through, but the, the main command is let us draw near to God. We can draw near to God because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen, that's a good thing. And that's, that's a true thing for us, no matter where we are at in our walk with Christ, whether we have only recently become a Christian or whether we have been a Christian for many years, we still can draw near to God. And we're to do that with a true heart. Well, what does he mean by a true heart? Well, I think he means one that is genuine in its faith. One who has a persevering faith. Those are two examples of what it means to have a true heart. It's a genuine faith. It's not something that you're doing because of uh, someone else's prompting you. But it's something that you do that is from the spirit of God. It's a genuine faith deep faith in christ as lord and savior it's a persevering faith and in other words it means that it goes on for the rest of your life we may waver from time to time we may even fall into sin from time to time but we always come back to jesus as the anchor of our soul we're to draw near to god with full assurance of faith in other words i truly believe god wants us to have assurance of our salvation do you guys believe that I believe that he wants us to have assurance of our salvation. And you might say, well, how can I do that? Well, the best way I know to tell you to do that is that trust Jesus completely. Don't trust in your own works. So many times we lose assurance of salvation when it seems as though to us we have failed God in some way, and maybe we have failed him. Maybe we have not been as uh, our attendance at church has not been. Uh, what it should be and we feel like we're not good with God any longer well if we have this true heart and we recognize our sin we repent of that sin then I believe we can have assurance of our faith assurance of our faith depends not upon what we do but upon who we know and first John chapter 5 verses 11 through 13 says that if we know the son If we have the son, then we can know that we have eternal life. Do you have the son of God residing in your life? Can you tell that he is there? Does your spirit witness with his spirit that you are a child of God? Is your heart clean? It says that we are to have a clean heart from an evil, our hearts should be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water these seem a little bit mysterious to us possibly but we've already talked about the conscience and our guilt the jews because of their trust in the old testament system because when they sinned they would feel guilty and have a guilty conscience the uh, Day of Atonement, the sacrifice that was given on that day was a reminder year after year of their sin, continual sin. And so it's normal that they would have a guilty conscience until the Day of Atonement when those sins were erased, right? But as they build up through the year, it's understandable that they would have a guilty conscience. We as Christians should never have a guilty conscience, we are not guilty. Amen? We are not guilty. That debt has been laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we will, f- we will feel conviction from the Holy Spirit. But it should never, we should never uh, respond to God's work because of guilt, but always because of a thankful heart. In Christ, we are free from our guilt and shame. And you can experience that today. If you've never experienced that, It is a wonderful feeling, and sometimes it's a difficult feeling to hold on to because we always go back that it depends upon us, and we feel guilty because of that, but Jesus has taken away our guilt and our shame. Then he mentions washed bodies. This sounds like baptism, and I believe it is baptism. I'm not saying he's saying it's a requirement for baptism, but doesn't it make sense that our assurance of our salvation comes when we are obedient to being, uh, to, to being baptized? That's the first thing that God has given us to, to do, Jesus has given us to do, as a means of obedience. And so scriptural baptism, I believe, brings assurance. And if you've never been scripturally baptized, you should be baptized. And so we can do that easily, right? If you are a believer in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ alone, and you're willing to be immersed into, bo- into water, then you can be baptized. And I would encourage you, if you believed and trusted in Christ, to be baptized at the soonest possible moment. We can set that up for you. So we're to let us draw near to God. Secondly, let us hold fast our confession. Verse number 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast our confession of our faith in Christ. Your faith, listen to this, your faith should be present, not just past. Right? (laughs) So if you want true assurance of salvation, we don't just look back to a date where we made a profession of Christ, but we ask ourselves am i believing and trusting in christ right now that's what's important and i think that's what he's talking about hold fast your confession don't let it drift away but hold fast your confession i don't know if you've had the opportunity have anyone taken a child to a theme park or to an airport you ever been in a foreign country with children you hold them fast right You don't let them get very far away from you. That's exactly what the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us about our faith. Hold it fast. Repent of sins as they happen. Don't let an account build up, so to speak, but keep your account with God short. Repent of your sins. Trust in Christ. Repentance. Listen, if repentance, if done correctly and often, always leads to worship. Many people think, well, if I think about my sin all the time, I'll just get discouraged. No, not true. If you repent and trust in Christ, then that brings you back to the cross of Christ, that his sacrifice is sufficient for your sin. And so it's always an opportunity for worship. Jesus is faithful. He's not going anywhere, and neither should you, (laughs) right? Jesus is faithful. He's not going anywhere and neither should you remain in the faith. And then finally, let us consider how to stir one another up. This is a, a, an admonition that maybe is one of the most popular verses in Hebrews. Maybe you hear it more often than any other, but it's the idea that we are to consider how to stir one another up and we should not neglect meeting together. Why should we not neglect meeting together? Because you can't stir people up, right? You can't stir people up if you're not there to stir them up. They can't be stirred up if they are not there. We are to encourage one another. This is a form of group encouragement that is an essential quality, I believe, of our church. is to stir one another up to good works, to stir one another up to love, It's something that we must do together. Now, we all need to encourage each other individually. That's true as well. But as a group, we need to encourage one another to meet regularly so that we can stir each other up in the faith. That's true. Thank you. I could see some reasons maybe for not coming to church as often as what we should, maybe it's boring. Maybe it's not as good as we think it should be. And if that's true, come and make it better, (laughs) come and make it better. Share your ideas, come to the business meeting. We've got a business meeting coming up. I don't know how many we have here today, probably 45 or 50. We'll probably have maybe 15 to 20 in our business meeting. Uh, we need to have more. We want everyone to be represented at our business meetings. We want everyone there to stir things up. Let's get stirred up, okay? (laughs) We need to get stirred up. Get involved. Improve your attendance. Be involved in Bible study together. Love one another. It's the commandment that Jesus said would make a difference in this world that if we loved one another, that the world would see that and it would make a difference. So we're finishing up pretty quickly here. What does God want from us in this scripture today? First of all, what he always wants is Jesus to be glorified and lifted up. And we can do that because he's our high great priest who intercedes for us, and he has shed his blood and his body for us, and so he's worthy of our worship. But what practically else can we do with these commands that are given, and these really are commands. I like how how the writer of the book of Hebrews uses the word let's, let us, because he's including himself. And as I preach this sermon, I am including myself. We are to draw near to God. That's a commandment to each and every one of you, draw near to God. Draw nearer to God. And there's ways that we can do that. Do not drift away, but draw near to God. This is, a, uh, this is a contrast with what the people were wanting to do. Drift away, draw near to God, spend more time in God's word. Spend more time praying, communicating with God. Sp- spend more time in biblical fellowship. Not just to get together with a meal, but actually discussing God's word together. Draw near to God by telling someone else about Christ. You talk about feeling close to God. You will feel close to God. You will feel dependent upon God. If you are sharing your faith with another person. And so we are to draw near to God. Don't take it as if this is just going to happen. We have to be intentional about drawing near to God. Coming to church will help you draw near to God. Then secondly, we are hold fast our confession. Keep it close to us. Do not let it drift away. And finally, stir up one another because we have a tendency to become sluggish. <laughs> we really do. This was written to the book to the people of Hebrews, the Jewish faith, but it applies just as much to us. If we don't stir one another up, we will tend to become sluggish and that's not what god wants us to do that's not what we want to do either is it we want to be going about doing god's work not busy work but doing god's work for his kingdom and if we take uh, the writings here into consideration i don't think that we will do that we will be busy about doing god's work let's pray Father, we thank you for this time and, uh, we thank you for your love for us. And so many times in the book of Hebrews, there's much to talk about and much to consider. And you've asked us three different times here to consider things that we are to draw near to you, that we are to hold fast our confession and that we are to stir one another up. And so we pray that you would help us. To know and discern how we are to do that we want to be loving we want to be mindful and considerate of people their work schedules and everything that is going on in the world but we also want to draw them to a deeper faith in christ and a deeper commitment to christ and to the church and so we pray that you would help us to know how to do that in a loving way father, we pray that as your people, that we would continually be praying for those who are lost. And there may be some here today who don't know Christ as their Lord and savior. And while the gospel isn't easy, it is easy for us to understand. Jesus has made the way for us to be reconciled back with God. That is through his sacrifice, through the shedding of his blood, through the brokenness of his body on a cross for our sins in such a way that those who believe and trust in him and repent of their sins can have eternal life. Because your death on the cross was not the final thing that happened. You rose from the dead and you live forever to intercede on our behalf. So i pray that those who need to know christ today would make that decision and make it known to the church father be with us in this closing section that your spirit would lead your spirit would guide as we have our time of response and we pray all these things in christ's name amen Amen.